Hello Books Do viewers. About six months or so ago, I went to a reading at Porter Square Books in Cambridge, and the author who was presenting her book is Shauna Potter, who you're going to meet in a minute, and she wrote an excellent book called Making Spaces Safer. And I was intrigued by this because, uh, I, I mean, spaces, what does that really mean? Um, it it uh, does talk a lot about harassment, but specifically harassment within the public spaces like clubs and performance spaces. And that is because Shauna is in a band called War on Women. So now I'm going to introduce you to her. Welcome, Shauna Potter, live from Baltimore, though it'll be taped by the time my viewers see it. Um, so, Thank you uh, so much for having me. I'm oh, sorry I can't be there in person. Oh, it's, well, it's probably a better thing, right? I don't even know in, at this point in the beginnings of coronavirus if we're even allowed to be fake. <laughs> We'd have to be six, six feet apart and wearing masks or whatever. Fair. So this is kind of more fun. <laughs> but um, what uh, on this day uh, that is is notable because today Harvey Weinstein received a jail sentence of 23 years. Um, it seems like a perfect time to talk about harassment, but I'd love for you to uh, introduce us to um, why you wrote your book and harassment of a nature that maybe most of us don't experience because we're not hanging out in clubs and we're not in a band. Well, I would, I would argue that that's not necessarily the case. I, I think a lot of people experience identity-based harassment. Um, this book is not just about people flirting at a bar, right, man and woman. Um, it really is about the fact that so many people are discriminated against and talked down to and called names or followed or intimidated uh, just for being who they are. And so what this book is, hopefully, <laughs> um, it should serve as a resource for all the people out there that actually have a lot of power to shut that down proactively and to also respond in the moment. People that have power, they might not know they have the power to do that. So um, to me, that means anyone that sort of represents a space. And that can be a bar or a club performance venue, but it's also a coffee shop. It's also a bookstore. Right. It's also a gathering of volunteers that are about to go canvas uh, for their favorite candidate. It's any time that you sort of have that um, you bring people together and you're in charge, then you have the ability to prevent and respond to harassment in a way that lessens uh, its impact on people. But um, your, your coming to write the book did come from circumstances, I think, when um, you were yourself and friends and fellow performers were being harassed and really wanted to help the venues that you performed in to, uh, to be good citizens and handle it properly. Sure, it, sure, sure. But it's, but I'm not just harassed in bars, right? <laughs> I, I, I it's get something, that. Yeah, that's all. Um, it's something that people, uh, deal with all the time in public spaces and, Research shows that really just the more people per square mile, the more harassment is likely. Um, so, so my argument is that, well, the least we can do is when we do go to a bar or a club or go see a band or a show of some kind, um, that we get a chance to escape that, 
that real world harassment that's out there literally on the street where maybe there's not anyone around that can do anything or help you or lend a kind ear <laughs> to what's going on. Um, I want people to be able to go to a bar and be able to chill and, and, and escape that, um, that uh, daily life of harassment or belittlement. Um, I thought the book was, um, there were several uh, places in the book where you dealt with different circumstances, whether you are the person being harassed, someone who sees someone being harassed and can be a helpful bystander, or someone who owns a venue. So why don't we start with people being harassed first. So I, I took a couple of quotes from your book, and I was hoping we could speak to each of them. So speaking about the title of the book, which again is Making Spaces Safer, you say in the book that a safer space is not one free of challenging ideas or of different opinions, but what should be practiced in a safer space is a set of standard respectful practices. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. Uh, um, I think that one of the uh, hesitancies that I hear when I talk about safer spaces from people is they think that it means I want to shut down their freedom of speech. <laughs> and that's absolutely not true. What I'm actually advocating for is everyone's free speech. Because what ends up happening in spaces like this, people that are commonly uh, harassed for being a marginalized person, um, they're, they're often silenced by not being believed, by not having the situation handled appropriately. They're silenced. Either they stay quiet and they just put up with the harassment all night, or they leave. And I don't think that's fair. So what I'm actually looking for is that everyone have the same access to that free speech and that freedom of expression to be themselves without having to experience hate or harassment. Um, so I think that by just having a venue or a space of some kind, just tell people in advance, hey, harassment's not cool, don't do it. Uh, that's honestly one of the biggest things that a space can do to prevent harassment from happening in the first place, just not be quiet about it, to not think that, well, if we don't mention harassment, it won't happen here, because frankly, that's not true. So we need people to actually talk about it and normalize talking about it and say that if someone is harassed, we will, we will handle it because harassment's not okay here. I like the, uh, the normalization idea because I think um, with many of us, it would be like the best thing you can do is just kind of forget about it, get out of town. But I like the idea of being able to confront it and even being proactive I know that um, you're really an advocate of having venues hang up posters, some of which we'll show during the show, that tell people that this is a safe, safe space and yeah. lays out for both um, the audience, the performers, and the people who own the venue that this is what we're going to do to make sure that you feel safe here. Yeah, and I think that goes a long way in preventing a lot of bad behavior because people know that they can't just get away with something. Uh, now, safer space also means that people are gonna be jerks, right? Like, <laughs> like, like it's not the owner of a venue's fault if some other patron is being uh, a jerk to me, 
right? So I'm, I'm having to keep watching my language. Like you said, I'm in a <laughs> rock band and I'm trying to keep it uh, PG. Uh, <laughs> so um, it's not the venue's fault that someone's being a jerk to me, um, but because that's not exactly in their control, they can do everything they can to make it known ahead of time that that behavior is not okay. But if it does happen, um, what is in their control is how they respond to it when I bring it to their attention. So people are going to be jerks. Uh, but if everybody else around them says, whoa, 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 hey, we don't, we don't use that word anymore, or leave her alone, she's not interested, or stop harassing her, then I think that behavior is more likely to stop. And the reason why it's allowed to go on, you mentioned Harvey Weinstein, is when these folks are in an environment where no one checks their behavior, no one stops it, no one challenges it, no one resists it. And so then the target or the victim is just left to be like, okay, I guess I'll just put up with it. And that is a form of silencing, and I'm not okay with that. Or even for the victim to say, well, what did I do? It must have, you know, to point it inward. So um, I'm going to move right into that segue, segues nicely into victim blaming. And here's another mm -hmm. quote from your book. Victim blaming is dangerous because it wrongly focuses attention and fault on someone who has done nothing wrong and takes attention off of those who have. And then you gave what I thought was a great example. And I've never heard anyone make this analogy before. If your car is stolen, no one asks you how much you had to drink that night or what you were wearing. And that, to me, <laughs> rang so true because what is the first thing that people say? And even, you know, any comment section of any article, there's always the people who trot out, well, you know, if you were a true strong woman, you'd make sure you didn't get drunk. And, you know, so, right. so I, I love the car being stolen analogy. I thought that was great. Yeah, I think I think about that a lot. Or if your wallet is in your back pocket and someone, you know, pickpockets you, no one's like, well, you just had your wallet out on display like that. Why are you carrying so much money around? <laughs> you know, like people people instead say, oh, that sucks, <laughs> which is what they should say when you say this guy kept following me all night or this guy called me the N word or um, I don't know, this person just keeps staring at me and I feel like they're going to uh, like follow me home we should say, that really sucks, how can I help? Right. And I, not, well, look at you. Yeah, you not, know? not, say, the immediate thought is, well, people just don't do this because they're screwed up harassers. You must have done something to cause this to happen right. to you. And I think by not acknowledging how often harassment happens and how pervasive and relentless it can feel for the people that experience it, by not acknowledging that, then of course we think, well, that doesn't happen very much, so you must have caused this. But if we actually talk about it when it happens or acknowledge that it, it is a regular part of life for so many people, then it's easier to empathize with the person affected by it. And hopefully you don't have to have it be your daughter, your mother, your son, your teacher. Yeah. I, I can't, also can't stand when people don't get stuff until it happens to their own family, and, they're, and then they're all like, whoa, this is wrong, where it was never, somehow <laughs> right. they could never see it before. So um, another quote from your book, um, really speaking to the effects of, of harassment that kind of knocked me down was uh, this one, the effects of harassment are a real ongoing cumulative, are real ongoing cumulative and traumatic. 
Cumulative was a word I never associated with harassment and the effects are. Uh, yeah, it's kind of fascinating. Um, so I did a ton of research for this book uh, because I didn't know all the science behind what I already knew anecdotally, right? I know how I feel when I'm harassed. I know my friends' stories. Um, but uh, the facts of how our brain reacts to these um, sometimes scary situations, it's all there. It's in the science. So I, I put all that in the book for anyone that's curious. But but basically what I've known anecdotally is that if I, if I was harassed once in my life, I would think, oh, what a weird thing that just happened and kind of move on. Uh, but the fact that it doesn't just happen once, it happens all the time. It happens in all these different situations and you're not ready for it and you're just trying to go get your laundry done or go to the bank or walk your dog, you know, and it catches you off guard. Um, all those little instances build up and it makes it so that when you are in public space, you kind of think that harassment might happen even when it's not going to. And so what really caught um, my eye when I was doing this research is that you can be minding your own business and everything is lovely, but if you see a person or a group of people that look like your normal harasser, and again, that's different for everyone, um, you, you put yourself on guard and you sort of, your, your brain starts to get like, um, ready in case you're going to be harassed, right? It starts like feeding you chemicals um, because it thinks it might be a fight or flight kind of situation, even though it's usually not. Um, and so you still feel the effects of harassment physically, even if it never happens, because you come to expect it. And that is a form of PTSD, right? When you think something's going to happen, that there's no reason why, why it should, and your body reacts and prepares you for it, prepares you for danger. Um, and also in the book, through my research, I found just how dangerous that um, building up of stress hormones can be on the body. It is taxing, it's physically taxing to experience harassment, basically, and to have come to expect it because it happens often enough that you can reasonably expect it to happen. It's really unfortunate. So I want it to happen less overall so that people are healthier and happier and have less um, PTSD in response to just seeing other people on the street. Yeah, there was, um, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the paranoia because um, you, um, you, here's one part. Uh, everything implies that as a woman, I am in danger from men at all times and that I'm only safe from their <laughs> violence if they choose to let me be. And then it sounds paranoid even to me, but these are the unconscious lessons I've learned. Another, uh, another part of the book that really, that really struck me based on what you just said. So even in a perfectly peaceful situation, you're, you're, you're being so aware of what could happen is so disruptive to your life. Yeah, so it might as well have happened. Right, it's, I a, mean, it's, it's a, the same Physically, thing. it's the same thing, yeah. So that's pretty distressing. Um, but yeah. let's move on to uh, something that's a little more proactive and that's appropriate <laughs> responses to harassment not only from the person being harassed, but from people around. And I thought that was one of the strongest 
sections of your book to help people who witness help the person who's being harassed to get out of the situation and to deal with the harasser. So, but you start out with a caveat and you say, let's make something clear from the outset. You are not a cop, a counselor, or a judge. So why don't you take it from there as far as some suggestions? <laughs> well, I gotta say the whole impetus for the book, all the workshops I've ever done, um, everything that's led me to writing this book is, is from that idea that, that all the people around the target are the ones that should be intervening, are the ones that should be doing something. Um, people that experience harassment don't need to be told how to respond. They figure out their own you know, safety mechanisms for, for getting through those moments. And everybody likes a nice funny tip um, or a new suggestion for what to say, sure, but, but it's everybody else that needs to know how to deal with this um, because there's more of, the, of us, right? There's more bystanders than there are targets. Um, so that being said, it, I wanted to let people know that it's okay if they're not experts at everything. They don't have to be. You don't have to be a counselor um, or have a certificate of some kind in order to help someone feel more comfortable that's been made to feel uncomfortable. You don't have to sit with someone who's upset for three hours when you're supposed to be tending bar, right? <laughs> and at your job. So I, I just wanna give people a little permission to do what's in their power and only what's in their power, right? To know, to know that it's okay that they're gonna have their own boundaries and um, capabilities and that's fine, but I'm pretty sure they're not doing everything they can. So they don't what, have to do everything, but they have to do what they can. Give us, so that, that was a very helpful uh, session when I heard you do your reading, some tips on what bystanders can do to help someone who's being harassed. Well, it really depends on their role, right? Um, and so someone needs to think, am I just another patron or do I have some sort of authority here? right? Am I tending bar? Am I the security? Um, do I work here? Um, so if you've got a little bit of authority, you have a little bit more leeway to intervene proactively, right? To just go over to two people and say, hey, everything good here tonight? Okay, well, I'm Shauna. Let me know if you need anything, right? To just kind of let people know that you're aware of their behavior. And that, that alone might stop it, honestly. Um, now, whether you work there or you're just another patron, you can use the five Ds of bystander intervention. And so that's something that most of us are going to use more often than not, right? Um, and those are in the book and you can also Google them. Uh, I did not invent the five Ds of bystander <laughs> intervention. I wanna be clear about that. Um, I mean, honestly, I wanna be clear about a lot of this book, a lot of this, the research in here, it's been done. A lot of these practices are built on the work and the activism of people that have come before me. I just didn't know of a book that puts it all together in a way that makes sense start to finish for people in public spaces that wanna help. And so that was my true goal. Um, so some stuff I obviously came up with, but, but not everything. So you can uh, look up the five Ds of bystander intervention. And I think people are always really afraid of the first one, which is direct, which is just approaching someone and say, hey, knock it off, right? Um, that should be used uh, when it feels safe enough to do so. But another one, especially if you're a patron, is you can delegate. 
You can just go get someone who's in a position of authority to do something. Just say, hey, something looks a little weird over there. I don't know. That person looks uncomfortable. Will you check it out? That's still helping, right? Like that's still being a good bystander. So you can definitely delegate. And, and then one of my favorites is actually uh, distract. I really like using the distract method because you can kind of have fun with it. Um, you can like accidentally spill your drink or start <laughs> singing a Christmas carol really loud. And, you know, the point is just kind of to put the attention on you for a second, even if you're just asking the time uh, from the harasser. Uh, just get the attention on you so it gives that target or that victim a break and they can decide if they want to walk away and get away. And it's really simple, but it's really effective. And, and, and that's the point. Um, all I have to do is ask someone the time so that that target can get away, and then I've done my job as a bystander, right? I don't have to get into an argument <laughs> with the person I think is harassing for two hours. I don't have to follow up with that victim in a year to make sure they're okay. You know, um, my job ends there. I, I interrupt the moment, I interrupt that violence and harassment, and then we're good. Well, that, I mean, that seems like something that's so doable. I will so put, doable. I will put up the five Ds, um, the five doable Ds, uh, <laughs> just so that viewers can see them. But I think, um, you're right about the book itself. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's a small little book and it's almost like um, a manual or a guide. I think um, maybe you made it this size um, on purpose so that, you know, a person or a, a club could just have it like, I'll grab this off the shelf if something is going on and I'm not quite That's sure exactly how to what handle I want. it. That's exactly what I want. <laughs> I want this book in every single space across America. That's what I want. I want, I want the bare minimum to all, to match this, to be the same in every space I enter. Right. And of course I'm biased. So I want bands like mine to be able to go into any venue and know that, well, they're at least going to do what's in this book. Right. They can always do more, but this, everyone needs to, their bare minimum needs to catch up to this at least. And I think having that, even that consistency, uh, helps to relieve some stress on the part of the person being being targeted. That they know, well, the least the least that will happen is that I can tell someone that works here. They'll use active listening skills. They'll believe me. They'll take care of it in the way that I want them to take care of it. Okay, great. And just to speak to how simple those bystander tips are, I know it sounds really simple, and I know it might even sound to someone unfamiliar with them. What's the point? It's such a small action but it's not small to the person you're helping. I have a statistic in there in the book about how even a knowing glance towards someone experiencing harassment can lessen their trauma around the event by half, by half, right? That's huge. And if we're talking cumulative, every little bit of trauma that we can chip away from the overall <laughs> picture it's so helpful. It's so helpful to the person being targeted. So small actions can make a huge difference. All right. I, I think um, your book is making a huge difference. Um, I just want, I want to uh, mention uh, a few more things that impressed me in the book. Um, you said, we must provide offenders with consequences 
for violent behavior and we must allow them the opportunity to learn how to do better. So I think that, um, that kind of goes into a, a restorative justice type of flow where um, let's not lock everybody up in jail automatically, but let's think about what we can do to teach them um, the effects of what they've done and to help them understand how not to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for smaller things, for smaller incidents, a consequence is just maybe you have to leave, right? Or you're reminded of that space's policy and to not do it again. Even that is more of a consequence than some people get now, right? Right. right. Um, so just knowing no one else is cool with what you just did, that can be enough sometimes. So I'm not, I'm not talking about like everyone has to go to, through a transformative justice program for six weeks, you know, that's not for everything. <laughs> but it should be an option for people that have, um, you know, offended in a greater way, you know, sexual assault, um, some, anything physical. Um, people need the chance to do better because we can't lock everyone up. And frankly, when we do, we do so in a discriminatory way in this country. And it often falls on the shoulders of black and brown men in a disproportionate um, way. So that's not okay with me. We can do better than the current systems that we have. And that applies to the criminal justice system, justice in quotes, right? Um, and it also applies to call-out culture, right? So me saying that people deserve a second chance and they need to learn better behavior, maybe go to counseling, you know, um, that is, that's different than going to jail or just being called out, right? Because if you're just called out or you just go to jail, why should your behavior change, right? What would cause you to do something different? Um, there's no kindness in those two different forms of and, and punishment. I think. Then there's no chance for people to change and people can change. Some people can't and won't. Yeah. But some people can and will. Yeah. All right, um, we're yeah. running out of time, so I'm going to uh, just bring up one more suggestion you had that I thought was the coolest. And your suggestion was to create a business card, like a little card you could <laughs> give out and have something like this printed on it. What you just said is harassment. Please do not ever say this to anyone again. As simple as that. I mean, how easy is that? And people think like, ooh, she's giving me her business card. Oh, <laughs> what you're really got doing a number. is giving them a big surprise. But a good, you know, a good non-aggressive and almost humorous way, but to say something serious and to make a real impression. Yeah, I think it's so important to have fun when you can <laughs> around harassment because harassment sucks, right? It sucks to experience that, to feel less than, uh, to wonder what am I doing wrong or, or I just, I'm just trying to get to work. Why is everyone bothering me? It's, it, it's not a good feeling. Um, so we have to find the lighter moments when we can. And sometimes that's our response to the harassment itself. And that business card thing, that's a, an idea that's sort of been around for a long time. Uh, you can find examples of it online. You can print your own, you know, it's just, it might buy you a little bit of time. And again, it's just that little bit of resistance to show, 
no, this actually isn't okay. Don't do it anymore. Right, but a chance to say, okay, I'm, you know, I'm not, you didn't put any expletives in there. It was, right. it was kind, and it said, just please don't do it again. Please but, don't. Uh, <laughs> but un unfortunately, we're, we're out of time, Shauna, but I do want to let people know that you are available to, uh, to help them with workshops. The book is available. Um, yes. I'll put all that information up so people can see it. And I just want to say to you that you are, it's inspirational that you have chosen to do this. And not only uh, put your own thoughts in here, but also do the research. Because if it was all anecdotal, I think it wouldn't be as valuable as it is. So um, yeah. I want to thank you for joining me on Book Stew today. I know viewers will have learned a lot. And hopefully anyone who wants to hear more about the workshops and the book uh, will get in touch with you. Yeah, just check out my website, shaunapotter.com. Thank you. All right, Shauna, thank you so much. Thanks and for having me, Eileen. My pleasure. And Book Stew viewers, this is really a valuable little how-to manual on many, many levels. You can see how impressed I was with it. With it. So thanks so much for uh, joining us today. And hopefully, if you are in a position to assist someone who's being harassed, now you'll have the weapons to do so. Uh, have a good night. <laughs>